Well, good morning, Calvary. The If Gathering, in case you haven't figured out, is sponsored by our women's ministry. We encourage you to sign up for that at yourcalvary.info. It is a weekend where you can gather together to hear renowned speakers all over the country. We do many things like this. We have a third grade milestone retreat yesterday. I think we had about 30 people participate. We have a lot of uh, like silence and solitude retreats. We have gatherings together. We, we even observe things throughout our ministry and throughout our life, such as baptism. But let me just caution you, all of those things are not the end. They're a means to an end. They're a means to come to a place where we, we understand what it really looks like to follow Jesus in every way and to come to the place where we're doing that. And the danger of that is we're going to have distractions in this world. We're going to have the place where we, we come to an understanding of what it looks like to follow God. And, and so in this world, what we're trying to do is we're trying to stay focused on Christ in every aspect of our life. Now hear me, the danger of that is we can make it about us. Do you know that our church is continuing growing? Last week we had our largest gathering since pre-pandemic other than Easter. I'm so excited about that. In fact, if people aren't saying hi to you, they may be visitors too. Say hi to them. Introduce yourself. Get involved. Plug them in. We had eight babies in the nursery at 8.15. Y'all got a lot of kids. Now, as we're unpacking all this, here's the goal. Don't just show up. We want you to encounter God. So last week I challenged you as we're going through this Luke book, in the book of Luke, and I challenged you to take 24 hours where you fast from either technology, 24 hours you fast from food, or for those of you who are really extroverted, 24 hours where you fast from your schedule and stay in your house. And I, I hope that you encountered God in such a way that, that began to change you. And I'd love to hear those stories. Don't worry, I'm not going to share them from the pulpit without your permission. Or There's no pulpit here, so that'd be really hard to do. But I'd love to hear those stories because I think there's some excitement that we share as we, we get through and, and see what God is doing. But let us not forget it's not about us and the enemy lives to distract you we exist for the glory of god we gather for the glory of god we show up and we sing for the glory of god and as we as i already mentioned have read through these Luke's stories, I'm seeing a theme over and over come of the temptation of distractions and perhaps no greater example of it in our reading today in Luke chapter 12. It's kind of how to avoid distraction in every aspect of your life. So in Luke chapter 12, in verses 8 through 12, we see the summary of the acknowledging Christ regardless of the circumstances, even when it's hard at work because you're the only Christian, even though it's difficult at school when people may make fun of you, even though when it's a struggle, wherever you may go, Jesus is Lord no matter where you go. So if you had a difficult week, here's the good news. Jesus is Lord. If you had a great week, Jesus is Lord. I don't know what's going to happen to you this week, but Jesus is Lord. And we find our hope, we find our solace, we find our identity, we find our purpose, we find our validation, we found everything that we own when we acknowledge Jesus is Lord and keep him at the forefront of our life. Now, as Jesus is teaching this, the people there were, were so enamored by it that this guy asked this question in verse 13 of Luke chapter 12. Because the, the crowd started gathering because Jesus was a good teacher, right? 
And there was a lot of great things like people getting fed. So here's this question from the crowd as he's just saying, acknowledge me in every way, right? Someone from the crowd said to him, and I imagine in my mind that he's like yelling at him from the back, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. That would be great if that was a seven-year-old, but it was probably a 37-year-old, right? And you're sitting there going, okay, you're not getting the point. You see, he had just said, acknowledge me, make me Lord and everything. And, and people come to Christ, a lot of times, what do I get out of this? Because we need stuff. We, we need to feel validation. We need to feel whole. And in this broken society, coming to Jesus for what you get out of it's not bad when you first come to Christ. But as you mature in your relationship with Christ, you got to understand, I've got to put myself aside because as I make him exalt him, as I make him the king of my life, as I make him the Lord of my life, that's where I will find my hope and my purpose. So he tells them the parable of the rich fool who goes off and, and he builds his house up and everything bad happens, right? And he said, don't build up your treasure here because everything on this earth will eventually be destroyed. And so then he comes around and goes, well, some of you are actually investing a lot because you're worried about your financial future. Anybody? God, I trust you. <laughs> But I've got to build up these walls of protection. I've, God, I trust you, but I've got to build up my 401k. God, I trust you, but I've got to build up my relational equity. What would it look like for us to truly trust God? And he says, I am the cure for your anxiety in verses 22 through 34. And he comes to verse 31. And he says, this is what I'm about. This is how you avoid distractions. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. We like that, right? We may not like the next verse. So sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven. The money bags he's asking you is the reward you'll receive in heaven. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your treasure? The treasure of where you're putting your time, your energy, your resources. You will worship what you deem worth it. Where you're putting your effort is what you are worshiping. Where you're putting your thoughts is what you are worshiping. And some of us, we don't even realize that we are worshiping things that are terrible for us. Right? And so the idea of what he's talking about here is in order to avoid distraction, we have to understand our call. What's our call? Our call is to seek his kingdom first. Seek first the kingdom of God. He is our priority. So we gather together to exalt the Lord. We gather together to draw into his presence. We gather together to draw into what he looks like for us and what he wants us to do. And the temptation is that in this world, there will be distractions. That was true in the Garden of Eden. God allows us to choose to follow him. God allows us the privilege of saying, I want to build up God's kingdom or I want to build up mine. One is fool's gold and one is a treasure that is greater than gold. Which one are you choosing? And as we begin to understand this, we begin to look at, okay, how do I stay focused when there's so many distractions in this world? Well, we have to have an eternal perspective. 
So you see this theme of distractions coming out and saying, seek his kingdom. And how you stay focused on his kingdom and not get distracted by the temptations of this world is to have an eternal perspective. So look with me in Luke 12, 35 through 40. Be ready for service and have your lamps lit. You are to be like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. Blessed will be those servants the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will get ready, have them recline at the table, and then come and serve them. And if he comes in the middle of the night or even near dawn and then finds them alert, blessed are those servants. But know this. If a homeowner had known the hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not respect. So there's two illustrations here. The first one takes up the first three verses. It's the idea and the picture of the waiting servant. The first, the waiting servant represents the church. The absent master represents the risen Christ. The master's return represents the second coming of Christ. So here's Jesus, before he's gone away, telling the disciples, I will return through an illustration. And you need to be ready, and you need not be distracted by the temptations of this world. Squirrel, right? You need to be not distracted by the, the, the temptations that are in front of you. You need to have some intentionality and investment in the kingdom of God as you mature in your faith, as you go on these retreats, as you, you begin to have the milestone discipleship programs of your house, as you begin to understand what it looks like to follow Christ, you begin to abandon all of the areas of your life that you used to find important but now realize are just fool's gold robbing you from the treasure of God. The second illustration is that of a thief. The thief is the idea of, okay, I'm unprepared for someone to break into my door. I and mean, if you knew a thief was coming, I don't care where you live. If you live in the most remote country place in the world and you have this idea of, I never lock my doors, right? Or maybe you drive that junk car that you think no one would ever steal, and so you never lock your doors, and then one day you forgot that you left your MacBook in there. Does that ever happen to anybody? Testify. And so then somebody steals your MacBook, and you're like, oh, if I'd have known that, I would have locked my doors, right? So this is the illustration that if you knew Christ was coming, he's going to show up when you least expected. So you allow yourself to be ready for when Christ will return because he could come back at any moment. Now, this is the place I want to pause and say, here's how churches have traditionally handled the second coming of Christ with one of two extremes. The first extreme is the pastor who that's all they talk about. They're obsessed with the second coming of Christ. And we don't get to the application because Jesus is coming back really soon. And they might even prognosticate when he's coming back. They might predict and all, and all those things. And, and oftentimes those pastors preach what I call turn or burn sermons. You know what I'm talking about? The ones that make you very fearful and full of shame. And, like, uh, and hear me, there is a place for fearing the Lord. But the fearing of the Lord should lead you to the love relationship with God. You shouldn't live in constant fear. One is holy, one is not. But the other danger of that is where we can also lean and not talk about the fact that there is a very real place called heaven that you will spend an eternity in. And there is a very real place called hell that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you will spend an eternity in. And I'm not doing 
service to you by not recognizing and helping you to recognize that. So when's Christ going to return? No one knows. No one knows when Christ will return. That's what 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us. We don't know! Could it be today? Yes. Could it be tomorrow? Yes. Could it be 1,000, 2,000? Could it be 100,000 years from now? Correct. But we are to live with the anticipation of Christ's return. I remember going to hear a sermon. I believe it was by Louis Giglio, which shows you how old Louis Giglio is, because I was in like seventh grade when he was preaching. And he described this illustration, and, and I remember being there, and he, he talked about, imagine with me, if you will, that all of a sudden you hear the trumpet sound. And you're like, oh, weird, Purdue Band's really close by. No, that doesn't sound like the Purdue Band. It sounds even better, and that's saying something, right? And so we go, what is that noise? It sounds almost angelic. Now, I don't know if this would happen, so this is some speculation, but I like to imagine. Let's say all of a sudden we hear the trumpet sound, and then immediately the roof is blown off. And you look up, and you see a vast multitude that make the stars look small of angelic beings coming down to earth, and in that moment, you realize the second coming has come. Now, is your reaction, if that were to happen right now, oh good, I can't wait to see that, or uh-oh. Because he could come any moment. Now, once again, if someone is saying Christ is going to return at a certain date and time, that's the surest sign he's not coming at that moment. So don't fall for that. So, Kids, when you hear some guy say on the internet, Jesus is going to return on such and such date at such and such time, that's the one time you know he's not going to return, <laughs> okay? You're welcome. Let that sink into the pores of your soul, okay? And as you think about that, though, but he could come back. In fact, we, we've theorized about this. We've theorized about the, the, these theologians get into this, this dark place where they start trying to, to break down Revelation. By the way, the point of the Revelation is God wins. That's the point of that book. And that be prepared because God has a plan, God has a purpose, and you don't have to know that plan. But we read into that, and some pastors spend way too much time in it, and then they over-exaggerate, and then they come up with these theories. And hear me, these theories are okay to explore, but they're not okay to obsess over. And so they've come up with this idea, God, when are you going to come back? Now, a thousand years? And so they, they bought into this millennialism idea, and so there's millennial means a thousand. So there's these theories that call premillennialism, amillennialism, and post-millennialism. I don't really want you to write those down because I don't really care about them because whether or not Jesus comes back in a pre-millennial view or an amillennial view or a post-millennial view is not the point of revelation. Do I have an opinion on which of those three it is? Yes. Am I going to tell you? No. So don't bother asking, okay? Because ultimately, I'm not a pre-millennialist. I'm not an amillennialist. I'm not a post-millennialist. I'm a pan-millennialist. It'll all paint out the way God wants it to be. And I can have a theory, but sure as I have a theory, I'm wrong. God is on his throne. I'm not God. And the point is, he is coming back. So don't get distracted. And to help tie that in, I, I want to share an illustration I shared two other times here in this service. If you've been here 10 years, you've probably heard me say it before. It's a famous illustration by uh, Francis Chan, who is a pastor. 
And he, he likes to describe the visualization of what it's looked like to follow God from now into eternity by picturing a rope. Let's say I have a rope that starts here on the stage. Okay? And the end of this rope has a little red tape on it, and the rest of the rope's all white, and that rope wraps around this room. And every one of you touch it, it's a big rope. In fact, that rope goes out the front door. It touches the campus of Purdue. May even go into Mackey Arena, boiler up. It leaves Mackey Arena, then heads down to Lafayette, and the next thing you know, it's on I-65 headed to Walt Disney World, because who doesn't want to go to Disney World, right? And that rope just keeps going and going and going, and you're like, is this rope never going to end? And it just, it, it's, it's, it's almost like the world's longest rope, and you're sitting there going, Daniel, that's awesome. What does this represent? That represents eternity, okay? Now, Francis Chan likes to say, if that's eternity, and on the stage is this one little square of red taped rope. This red taped rope represents your time on earth. And the rest of it in eternity. Which makes more sense, to focus on the red tape or that which is to come? Eternity. So don't get distracted by the here and now. That's why it's so important to focus on eternity when we understand what it looks like to stay focused on building up his kingdom. So as you think about that, there's a couple other reasons why we shouldn't focus on when Christ is returning as much as the fact that he could come at any moment. We are commanded to live ready for his return at all times. We're commanded to be ready to live at all times. And so that's when it goes back to the idea of um, verse uh, 35, be ready for service and have your lamps lit. The word be ready for service is actually a CSB translation to put it into modern English, but if you actually read, if you have a King James version or a couple of the other versions, it actually says the words gird up your loins. Now, the reason CSB didn't translate it like that is because most of you don't know what that means. And even if you know what that means, let's be honest, that's an awkward sentence to say out loud, even though I've said it three times. Thank you, Macklin. I appreciate that. But the idea of girding up your loins was the fact that back then they didn't have Old Navy giving us pants, right? So everybody kind of wore these long dress type things, skirts. They didn't call them that, and I get it. But when you went out to the field to work, if you were a man or if a woman, if you were doing work, you, you couldn't, men, you may not realize this, you cannot run in a long dress. And all the ladies said, Amen. And some of you are thinking, you ought to imagine it in heels too, right? <laughs> you can't run in a long dress. And so what they would have to do is they would have to hike up that skirt appropriately. And then they would tie it off, fashioning it in the sense of like a bathing suit, girding the loins. If you don't know what that means, I'm just going to kind of leave it right there. Making it tight so that they were able to do the difficult work without being hindered. Now, the reason they didn't is at the end of the day, they'd go, whoo, I'm off duty, and they'd, they'd let their uh, skirts go back down to the ground. They weren't called skirts, but go with it, okay? And so it's like, I'm resting. It's the end of the day. And he says, stay alert. In other words, stay 
ready for work because you don't know when the opportunity is going to come to work. And God wants you to work here and now. God wants you to be active doing something, which is the second part. We have a purpose and a calling here and now. So we are to stay active using our God-gifted abilities, context, and purpose, living for the glory of God wherever we go, using our passions and our abilities to come out and help people know Christ. God is spreading across this country. Have you been noticing? Are you wanting that? So the illustration of keeping the lamps lit was the idea of going out and having to light the path every single night because he could come home tonight, but he's probably not coming home tonight. But if he does and can't find his way back to the house, that's a problem. Now, that's not an exact illustration because Jesus doesn't need the light, but it's saying, I'm going to go out and do my responsibility. I'm going to do my part. I know that the master may not come back today, but I'm going to stay motivated. So as you think about that, and as you let that true, that's why we shouldn't stay focused on, we shouldn't focus on when he is returning as much as stay ready and believe he could come back any day. Now, as you think about that, I want us to give you three constant reminders to keep us focused on the master's return. The first one, we live on the edge of eternity. We live on the edge of eternity. Now, that, we live on the edge of Christ's return, as it says there. We, we've changed the different ways. We've said that. Apparently, I messed it up in the last service. I just caught that. But we've changed the way that means all through the time. But it's, we, we, live on the, we don't know when Christ is going to return, but we also don't know when we're going to die. If we knew we were going to die, we probably would, oh, I should live differently, right? But when we trust that eternity is not just the reward, that the reward is God's presence, and God's presence is here now, it's not just focusing on what we get to have, but, but living out what we get to have as a glimpse of that now. So the Spirit of God is present with us here and now. And this changes everything. And so you think about like the revival that's happened at Asbury. And, and I was a part of a revival similar to that in Broward in 1995. There's been books written about it. Now, here's what I would tell you. Anytime there's a great movement of God, once again, I want you to hear this. I said this last week. It's important. Anytime there's a great movement of God, there are lives that change. That's the mark of the revival, not the service. Lives that change. But there will also be sensationalism, people taking advantage of it, taking screenshots. Oh, look at that. It's awesome. And then there will also be cynics. But don't let those two extremes push out from the fact that lives are changing because I see a great movement happening, and I, and I want us to be a part of it. I see a movement of God happening here at our church. Y'all, we have like three more people signed up for baptism in the next few weeks. We have 30 people who went on a third grade milestone yesterday. Our church is growing. God is moving. But the question is, do you want that to be the center of your life? Or are you just wanting a glimpse of it that will last into eternity? The glimpse won't work. The third point, there will be a judgment with very real rewards and consequences. Now, we don't know what those look like. We don't. The Revelation describes them as a crown, and I like to imagine that they are crowns because I think crowns are cool, right? 
But I, once again, don't think you're going to go to heaven and go, oh, I got a crown and get to go, woohoo, selfie. Can you send it to my wife? See, I'm awesome. I told her I was a king. That's not the way this works. Because I think whatever rewards we get, we'll want to lay down at the throne room of God because he is worthy of our praise. So we're about to have a time of communion, but before we get there, I want to ask you this. Do you really want to experience the movement of God? Which is described as living with him as the priority. Which is not being distracted and living a life that affects eternity even now. Let's be real. I'm going to say some things to you that I shouldn't say. There's a clock back there that tells me how much time I have left. I have three minutes and 37 seconds. I may go over. Bear with me. You have a clock that tells you how long you can preach? Yes. Why? Because we have schedules and we have routines. And that's not necessarily bad. We even practice preach this on Thursday. Why? Because the Holy Spirit can move in preparation as much as he can move on Sunday mornings, right? And all of those things are holy. We have child care workers and, and people who are investing in your children right now, praying over them, teaching them the Bible. And if we went really long, they might be like, what's going on? But I'm asking, are we tethered to our clocks? Are we tethered to our schedules? Are we tethered to our routines? Are we tethered to our life? Or are we willing to say, God, whatever it takes, I'm willing to go? What would it look like? And I'm not suggesting this needs to happen right now, so some of you need to not. But I'm saying if a mighty movement of God happened and we didn't leave this place and we felt like God was asking us to stay and come to the place of true repentance, of true worship, of true adoration, of true confession, of true all of those elements, would you be open to it or would you be like, eh, I can't do that. I've got kids programs this afternoon. I've got a Purdue game. Do you know that Purdue? What if he said stay all week and you're sitting there going, but I got tickets to the IU game. Do you know how much money? Any of those costs? When, you, when I say, if God asked you to abandon your schedule, what's the first thing in your mind that you sit there and go, I'm willing to until that, and that's really your priority? And I'm asking you today to realize that some good things can become distractions, dare I say even idols, really, really quickly. You will worship what you deem worth it. Some of them were choose. We choose because they're fun. They're like fast food. Easy, quick, and terrible for you. Deeply satisfying in the moment. Why are we choosing fast food instead of going to the all-you-can-eat buffet that's healthy? Why are we so consumed with the here and now that we're willing to forsake our children's future because we want to create a memory that will fade. What does it look like to really live with eternity in mind? Which is, by the way, our, our daily training. In order to live with eternity in mind, you have to repent from the areas that are distracting you and yes, sometimes they're obvious, they're sins, addictions. But sometimes there are sins that we don't even recognize have become so important to us that we're, God, move! 
as long as you're contained here. What would it look like if we went, God, move? If you taste that, you will not go back to the fast food religion you've been consuming. So if you don't have a relationship with Jesus today, I want you to realize how good he is and faithful he is. That he died on a cross for you. And you can receive him by acknowledging Jesus as Lord. We'd love to talk to you more about that at the end of the service. To the Christian in the room, we're about to observe something called communion, common unity, or the Lord's Supper. We use different words. It means the same thing. We have some deacons who are going to be passing these around. If you do not have one of these, please raise your hand. If you are a follower of Jesus, we encourage you to participate. If you're not, we ask you to stick this one, sit this one out to respect um, our faith and our traditions. If you need one, raise your hand. We have a couple others around. We'd love to give you that. Go ahead and make the noise. By the way, if you bend down, it's easier to break the seal. And take the top off and the bread and take the juice off. But before we participate in this, I want to give you just about a minute and a half. To do what? To pause and come into the presence of God. And ask Him what you need to repent from. What's distracting you? Guys, I wasn't always this last week. The father, the husband, the friend, or the pastor I need to be. I have to repent all the time. When was the last time you truly repented? It's not so-and-so's fault that you have a bad attitude. It's your fault. Right? So before we have communion, let's come before the Father. Say, God, what do I... And if you don't want to repent, maybe you could pray the prayer. Father, help me to want to repent because right now I don't. And if you don't even want to pray that, I want you to wrestle with that because that's an issue. Your heart is that cold I want to pray that your heart softens, that you want to come to the place to experience how good he is. Yeah, this cracker and juice may not taste the best, but when you understand what it represents, it tastes amazing. Right? So take the next minute and a half. Ask God, Lord, what do I need to repent from? Let him speak to you. Ask him what your next steps are.